Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Josh Galecki. And today we're talking about Katamari Damacy, uh, created by Keita Takahashi and developed and published by Namco uh, way back in 2004. Uh, it just came out uh, recently for a Nintendo Switch, but you know, since its release, it's been out for pretty much everything under the sun. Me and Brian both recently picked this up for the Switch. I think oh, sometime over Christmas vacation, uh, he saw that it was on the Switch store for a sale and said, that is going to be a damn fine podcast right there. Yeah, very true. So the reason I said that, Josh, is actually because you shared a chiptune album with me that had a cover of oh, yeah. uh, Lonely Rolling Star on it, right? Which is one of my favorite <laughs> songs from this game. So it was a cover by... Ivy and Sarashu, who were the the musical duo behind the Steven Universe TV show, and uh, Eichenfeld, which were both uh, playing or have played respectively. So, yeah, that that one thing led to another, and here we are talking about Katamari. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that it was a very fortuitous set of circumstances. This was a game that back when I was in yeesh, grade school, high school, high school, <laughs> when I was in high school, and uh, you know nerding out with my friends which included brian at the time mm-hmm. um this was one of the games i wanted to play but because i did not have a playstation 2 i just had to look at screenshots online and i was too uh, bad of a nerd to have this game really clock for me back in in 2004 i guess i wasn't fully uh, immersed into uh the video game scene back then i was sort of more of a mainstream gamer kind of person but um now, uh, I, I played this, I believe, for the first time on PS2, but it was after college, right? I was, like, going back and doing some cleanup on, like, this is a game you should have played if you're, you know, caring anything about the games that came out in the past decade, and this was universally at the top of the list. So this yeah. is my second second playthrough of the game uh, on the Switch with Katamari Reroll, and I had just as much fun this time as I did the first time. Mm-hmm. The game's not a particularly long game, but I think it does what it does, and it does it very well. Um, so what happens in this game? You are the prince, the son of the king of all cosmos, uh, who recently went on a drinking binge and <laughs> woke up and suddenly all the stars and the moon are gone from the sky. So he tasks you, the prince, with collecting enough things to recreate all these stars. But how do you do that, Brian? Well, you do that by uh, rolling around the world and uh, basically slowly but surely um, hoovering up and adding to your uh, katamari, or uh, as it's translated, clump of souls. (laughs) That's dark. (laughs) Although, I guess considering the game, that kind of makes sense, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Clump Soul. I mean, it sounds like a a really weird Dark Souls uh, DLC, but hey, whatever. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So this weird-shaped ball you have, the Katamari, when you move it around, if you hit a small enough object, that object gets rolled up into the Katamari, and your Katamari becomes a little bit bigger. So a lot of this game is about going around the levels and chasing after the sufficiently small enough objects that your katamari grows and avoiding things cats birds cars that would squish you because your katamari is as of yet too small yeah basically you're slowly growing in size and you know with each successive level of the game you're slowly growing to a a larger size it's a really cool exercise in scale right because you're starting off 
um, usually smaller than, um, uh, you know, a bug, and then eventually you get up to, you know, in the first levels you end at knee height, and then by the end you're rolling up entire islands and, you know, pieces of geography. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's really something, and I think they do, they do some really interesting stuff with, with the scale and how they are able to traverse such a large variety of play space sizes in a single given level. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like Brian said, uh, this is both across the entire campaign, so to call it, where you start off rolling up thumbtacks, and by the end of it, you're rolling up skyscrapers and mountains and things like that. Um, but even within the levels, like um, you increase in size until things that were threats to you before are now more food for the Katamari to suck up. I think that's one of the most interesting things about going through the levels is like you start off and there's mice chasing you around. Uh, you get your Katamari big enough and then you're chasing the mice around because they don't want to be sucked up into your all-consuming clod of souls. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting that this, the Katamari and rolling slash accumulation mechanic is actually patented um, and like uh, to the great dismay of the, the creator of this game. Keita Takahashi, actually, he, he laments the fact that this patent even exists, because he wants to see more stuff done with this outside of the purview of the series, which he lost control of after the uh, the second outing. He's a really interesting guy, by the way, this Keita Takahashi, and um, he's sort of the director and sort of ideator of the entire series. Uh, he was a, a sculpture student with a, a great deal of whimsy, let's say, and he got into to video games. But um, I, I'd say he's definitely like sort of an outsider video game designer, right? He's not someone who, you know, has a good relationship with the executives at, at Namco anymore. <laughs> now I heard even when he was starting off, he showed the game idea to some of his bosses at Namco where he was working. And they were like, okay, that's okay. But since he wasn't a game designer, he was an artist. He wasn't allowed to cross over. And it was only by enlisting the help of students at Namco's in-house game development school and some otherwise about-to-be-fired programmers, was he able to create the prototype for this and get the ball rolling? Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, and and get it rolling he did, right? Like, this was such a, a stroke of genius, right? Like, what can we have brand new out of college people do and, you know, maybe not the most talented of programmers? Just design and build hundreds of uh, very simple polygonal objects right so that's what he had them do and that's like this game's like sort of uh, attack of scale with and you know efficiency with what it sets out to do and and how it delivers it Uh, it's just got a ton of these different sort of random objects that appear in the game and he got it done at a super low cost Uh, when this game was produced back in 2004 it had a budget of under a million u.s dollars at the time Uh, so it was you know like a tenth of what you might spend on a, a triple a release Mm-hmm. And talking about those, that motley assemblage of objects you find in this game, that's one of the things that contributes to this game's distinctive quirkiness. Like, you'll be rolling around, and all of a sudden you find 15 cash registers just laying on the ground. And hopefully you're big <laughs> enough to pick them up at that time, because that's some added heft to your Katamari. Yeah, it's, it's pretty 
it's pretty fun. It's super quirky and it's super Japanese, right? Like you start off picking up uh, packets of soy sauce and, um, you know, nigiri rolls and sushi rolls and things like that. You know, it's uh, very clear that you're, you know, supposed to be in like a Japanese apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this person's living rough, man. There's like bugs everywhere and like, <laughs> trash strewn all over the ground. <laughs> but um, it's, it's definitely a cool sort of uh, cultural piece, right? The everything from um the framing story of you know you mentioned of course the the main story which is the prince of all cosmos uh sort of cleaning up after his dad the king of all cosmos but there's also this side story with a japanese family who's going to see their father um who's a space uh, or an astronaut and um the (laughs) the launch gets canceled because the king of all cosmos crushed the moon and the stars out of the sky so he doesn't have anything to land on <laughs> it's just like if this sounds goofy and like a little random um it is but it, it feels it doesn't feel like bad you know like most little random things feel kind of like hackneyed and shitty and this feels you know i don't know fun and, and full of heart very light-hearted i think that's a good way to describe it this game never takes itself seriously Mm-hmm. And it has such a good attitude about itself, and it's just superbly written. Like, there's only really dialogue one way from uh, the King of All Cosmos to the Prince, and then the dialogue between the family. But um, the King of All Cosmos is just superbly written. He's uh, always sort of like belittling the Prince, or like giving him backhanded compliments, um, or you know, just straight up cutting him down and saying, you know, that that really could have been better. Um, <laughs> the there's no bad guy in this game, but I think. Um, the <laughs> the main uh, antagonist of this game is your father's disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> if only I can make a big enough Katamari. <laughs> exactly. Then dad will love me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's something to sort of think about when you're you're interacting with, uh, with other people. Emotional abuse is real, people. Um, hmm. <laughs> but um, to get back on a, a lighter subject, um, there is just so many fun little twists they put on this accumulation mechanic throughout the levels um everything from as simple as this the first levels being you know grow up to this many meters right the first few levels is get up to like uh, a meter you know from your 10 centimeter starting point to all the way at the end when you're getting up to 300 meters uh, diameter for your katamari but then they have sort of these constellation levels that have twists on the mechanics where you create cancer the constellation by rolling up as many crabs as possible yeah they um there's two different basic types of levels here the first one is just roll up everything possible and the others are these constellation missions where you are either trying to roll up as many of one type of object as possible or my least favorite ones the ones where you're only supposed to roll up a single object of a certain type uh like cows or bears Yeah, this was like kind of a free pass to be like, all right, you can just sort of stop this one whenever you're ready. So if the first bear you pick up is like when you're only a meter tall, you know, that's it. You get berated by the king of all cosmos and you move on to the next thing. Oh, no, it's about the size of the bear you pick up. And what would get me were those tiny little bear statues that were everywhere (laughs) in that level that I was too big to even see at that time anymore. So um, I tried that level a few times, but it just wasn't fun enough for me to try to get complete.
Yeah, I feel like some of the, those constellation levels demand a little bit much of you. They're clearly meant to like be there as sort of oddities and like challenges. If you want to spend a lot of time getting a really good score in them, you can. But this is not a super precise game, and, and maybe we take a little aside here and talk about the controls, because this game does control in a super weird way. Like, you're not just moving this Katamari around one-to-one with... Um, you know, moving the joystick around. It's a game about momentum as much as it is about scale, and you play using tank controls with the two joysticks. So if you move both joysticks forward, you will go forward. If you move the left one forward and the right one back, you will turn to the left, right? So it is, um, or sorry, you'll turn to the right. Uh, it left. is basically... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't, don't fuck with me, Josh. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's one of those games where you... You need to learn a relatively unintuitive control scheme, but it sort of rewards you and makes it interesting to do so. Um, you know, they have a few other twists where you can sort of look and you could do this sort of sonic spin dash thing, but honestly, it's not super useful. No, I'd agree with that. Um, the solution to if there's if there's ever a ramp that you are needing to dash up, the solution is just to get bigger and then eat up the <laughs> ramp too. So it doesn't yep. matter anymore. <laughs> the controls are certainly not intuitive. They're clunky in some ways, but I think that's part of the game's charm. This is, like you said, not a game that lets you be precise. That's how I'd say it. It's not that it's imprecise. Accidentally, it's imprecise on purpose uh, to make it more difficult to do the things you want to do. It's super fun to crash into stuff in this game, even though it's like not exactly in your best interest to do so because you might lose some size. Um, you know, getting up a big head of steam and rolling up a bunch of stuff only to slam into an immovable object or something that's going to knock you back is like half the fun. <laughs> that being said, there is one useful move that they define for you and that's the press both joysticks in to flip around and go in the opposite direction mm -hmm. that saves a lot of time of you know turning because often you'll crash into a wall and a quick revert to go back the other way to use the tony hawk parlance is just what's needed hmm. that was a very useful i'm not sure if that was an addition or if that was in the original it was in the original okay worthwhile for sure definitely I do find it fun that like they used the the constellations and sort of found um, silly thematic things to let you try and collect. Like you mentioned, Ursa Major uh, needs you to collect bears. Taurus lets you collect cows. Pisces makes you collect fish. Cancer um, makes you collect crabs, which, by yeah. the way, <laughs> the mission title for that was Make Cancer. And I'm like, this game got a lot darker than I remember it being. But no, um, cancer, actually, the disease cancer comes from crabs uh, and some Latin or Greek thing. Because uh, I guess skin cancer would look like kind of crab-shaped in certain instances. Um, so that's kind of your etymology fact of the day. Well, thanks, Josh. Uh, etymology fact done. I'll put in the uh, little fanfare here, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of fanfares and, and songs and things of that nature, this game just has a ton of interesting things going on with its sound design and its soundtrack. Um, oh, tell me about the sound design. I've got some good thoughts on the soundtrack, but as usual, I don't notice sound in games so well. 
<laughs> so the thing that stands out most to me uh, about the sound design in this game is once you start rolling up people, uh, the first time you roll up a person, you might hear them say their name, and that sort of signals to you that, oh shit, these are actually real people. <laughs> um, and then after that, if it's an unnamed person, they'll just scream, um, which is also a little disconcerting because there's this super happy music going on, and all of a sudden you hear these blood-curdling screams as they get rolled up by the Katamari. They also wiggle around in your Katamari when they're there already. I thought rolling up people was tons of fun. Like, I don't know, like I'm Godzilla going through things. But yeah, they're like, the polygons wiggle when they're attached to your giant clump of souls. The canary in the coal mine for this whole thing is uh, once you're big enough to roll up people, the cops will start to shoot at you. Um, so, you know, obviously just roll those mofos up. Um, <laughs> but um, they retcon this in later games to say like, oh, it feels good to be rolled up into the Katamari. Um, you know, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a cop out. <laughs> but, you know, Keita Takahashi is no longer involved at that point. And, you know, all those those sequels, you know, there was a bunch of them actually, and including the extremely unfortunately named Touch My Katamari. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't uh, I haven't played any of those. I haven't so much as played the second one uh, that he was last involved in, and, and neither is Takahid or uh, Keita Takahashi. Actually, he says he hasn't played any of the ones that he hasn't been involved with either. Hmm. So um, yeah, I don't think he like has a, a lot of esteem for the video game industry, and you know that's probably not unwarranted. He got treated pretty rough uh, for being a creative person that came up with such a cool and unique idea. It sounds like they patented his game and kicked him out. I'd probably be bitter too. Well, besides the sound design, this game also has some most excellent music to go along with it too. Hell yeah, it did. Um, this is such an interesting soundtrack because it's so varied. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know what I would call it. I guess I'd call it like world music. There's like elements of samba, electronica, techno, big band, jazz, uh, you know, you name it. Like you can find something here in, you know, any genre mashup you can think of. Um, not any, but a lot of different genre mashups here, which are really fun. Any favorites on your part that, that stand out immediately? Oh, definitely the song that plays over the Make the Moon mission, which is the last mission of the game, where you end up, you know, you're taking out mountains, you're taking out Godzilla, you're taking out the god of clouds and thunder, or I forget what he's called in the game, but you're getting massive. And the horns in that track are just perfect. Yeah, you're talking about Katamari on the Rocks, I think, and that is also the first mission, so the game has a nice sort of circular thing with that particular track, which I would say is the main theme of the game. Uh, we probably opened this episode with it, um, and... He's <laughs> <laughs> got it planned out already. Oh yeah, I, I certainly do. Um, there's uh, a couple that stand out to me are Gin and Tonic and Red Red Roses, uh, which is sort of a jazzy sort of scatting track. Um, sung with a fe uh, by a female singer that's really fun and then K Sera Sera which is sort of a big band like crooner song and you have this guy singing wanna roll you up into my life oh really that is probably my <laughs> least favorite song I just thought it was so funny you know this is um, definitely a trend with you Josh you're always you're making fun of me for liking the Bing Crosby Christmas songs and now you're <laughs> making fun of K Sera Sera the classiest song on Katamari's soundtrack it, the verse was hilarious, but it was the single verse in the whole thing. I, I would like some more lyrics, please. 
I mean, that's fair. Uh, some of these songs like do outstay their welcome when you're listening to them for 20 minutes in a row or you know 10 minutes in a row. That's a good point. You know, some of these these levels start off going about I think about four minutes for the whole thing, and the last one you get what 20 minutes to roll up the world. Uh, so like having enough game music that that doesn't loop over itself without getting repetitive would be an accomplishment. To feel me, I wanna word you into my life. This love up to make a single star in the sky to you. Yeah, video game music is meant to be repetitive, but this doesn't sound like video game music, which um, means it does wear on you when it when it gets repetitive. You're the length of those levels, especially at the end, is actually a weakness in my book uh, of this game. It doesn't feel good to fail a, a mission in this game. You know, I'm thinking of something like Dark Souls. You realize the mistake you made, and you can go back and try and correct it. And you you can probably make it take less time the second time around. But in this game, you are locked in to that 20-minute runtime for a given level, or the final level, as an example. And, you know... You can adjust your strategy somewhat, but you're not going to do it any faster, right? Like, failing a level basically signs you up for exactly the same amount of time once again. Uh, I would say that's probably one of the weakest aspects of the game, which I otherwise really love. No, I actually really like the last level. Um, I kind of wish it was longer. Uh, Like, a kind of, you start from the smallest and get to the biggest sort of thing. I like the last level, too. I think it's my favorite level in the game. What I'm saying is, I hate failing it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and if you don't fail a level in this game, you'll never uh, see this, but they do make um, failing sort of interesting by having like a custom scene with the King of All Cosmos, and he's doing these really threatening poses and lightning and thunder going on in the background. So it's not like an unfun thing to, to fail entirely, but I don't like the fact that um, you know, you're signing yourself up exactly for another exact same length of time around. Um, but to your point about that last level, it is definitely the crown jewel of the game, right? Make the Moon is a um, incredibly fun level because it puts the, the scale of this game on full display. Like in most levels, I don't know if you notice this, but at some point your screen sort of blurs and they do like this power-up thing where suddenly, oh, you, you know, you've entered the next echelon of, of rolling right? Mm-hmm. And what that's doing is hiding a load screen, right? It's unloading the smallest oh. objects and loading in the next level of big ones. Um, Never noticed. Yeah, you, you you wouldn't, right? And that's the beauty of this game, is it like hides uh, a loading screen, basically, with like a triumphant moment for you. Not only triumphant, a weird one, too. It'll be like, you're now big as one cardboard box, or you are now big as 927 pencils. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's fun. And I think taking like what is the weakest part of a video game, loading screens, and turning it into something fun is like part of the subtle genius behind this game. Ah, very cool. Good point there. Good point. So we're both in agreement that the last level is baller. Uh, but let's talk about some of the other levels you got. There's three main stages, if you will. Um, the home, the town, and the world. Uh, and you'll kind of go back and forth between the home and the town and the town and the world until, like we said, that last level is just rolling up everything. 
Yeah, I would say it's like the difference between the region and the planet might be the final like last step, and you really only do like the planet level rolling on the final level. Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, change of scale too, like when it goes from the home to the town, like you're still monotonically increasing to throw. Sorry, let me get rid of the math word. You're still increasing <laughs> in size as you go from stage to stage. So the early town levels, you're still a very small little katamari. Um, you're really only in a small subset of the whole town space. Um, and then you go back to a couple more home missions. Then you start doing some world missions too. And then that last town mission you have, you're rolling up buildings. You're rolling up all these things that uh, you even go back to that space you started off with. It's a small area to you now because you're a giant Katamari ball. Uh, but back then it was an entire level for you to play around in. Yeah, it's it's pretty great to you know know that you spent your entire first level inside this one house and then by the time we're several levels back in you can roll up that entire house in one go <laughs> and uh yeah that's fun it's definitely it gives you a sense of progression this is an interesting game in that it does actually have sort of a power fantasy going along with it but it is basically completely non-violent and non-confrontational you know apart from all the blood-curdling screams well, <laughs> you're not in opposition to those people. <laughs> they just, they don't know you're there to make them feel good in the Katamari. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and yes, exactly. It is for their own good. They're becoming part of something bigger, right? Um, never join an MLM, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely a interesting, an interesting thing that there's no, like, big bad in this game. You're just cleaning up someone's mess. And um it is it's just sort of a joyful sort of celebration and yeah like you said there's some weird sort of contextual things with the blood curdling screams and maybe some like hint at a darker side of things but it's more goofy than that honestly it's sort of slapstick there's no attempt at realism in this game the people in the game all are all very block shaped um they look more like i don't know playmobile action figure things or like minecraft characters you know it's very like low poly cartoon, you know, everything's in candy colors. It's just, um, it, it's, it's extra goofy. And there's, you know, even all of the mannerisms of, of how things are done in this game is super goofy. Like you travel to and from worlds on uh, a rainbow that comes out of the King of all cosmos mouth. Um, every time rainbow he talks, vomit. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rainbow, the rainbow vomit or the rainbow voice. Um, he also, uh, every time he speaks, it sounds like a record scratch, which is fun. Um, <laughs> it's just all kinds of interesting little things going on. Um, uh, not to mention, as we said, all of the objects in this game are placed completely nonsensically, which will, you know, keep you laughing, uh, the whole time. Usually the most interesting or odd thing going on in a level is what hides the gift that is hidden in each level, which basically amounts to an accessory that you can equip on your, your prince. Mm -hmm. I think some of the ways they set up these objects too. We're almost telling tiny little stories like um, this rat is getting chased by a golf ball or something like that. Uh, just little things that you can notice and chuckle at or just chalk it up to the general quirkiness of the game. Yeah, or a trail of little pieces of cheese leading to a mousetrap or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, packets of soy sauce and sushi is something I mentioned earlier. Um, it's definitely... You're right. There's some like really light environmental storytelling going on here, but it is it is fun. 
Oh, the one thing we didn't mention about the levels is there is something that happens between all of these levels, and that's the homeworld that you uh, get to go on, which has super chill music. Uh, it lets you view the full list of objects you've rolled up along with their names, which is how I realized that all of the people that I'm rolling up have names, uh, hor <laughs> horrifyingly. <laughs> and yeah, it, it lets you equip your little gifts, like a, a scarf or a crown or you know a little shirt or something for your, your Prince of All Cosmos. Mm-hmm. I actually never explored the home world because I did not have a Katamari there. I couldn't roll up random objects and make it bigger. I was less <laughs> exactly. interested. Exactly. Yeah, they do still have you roll around, but if there's nothing to roll up, it's it's no fun. To the point that they even allow you to roll up the countries on the world in the credit sequence of the game, just oh, so you have something that. to do. <laughs> just so you have something to do while all the credits are rolling by. Here was me reading the credits like a chump. Yeah, man, you you missed the chance to roll up Poland and Russia and uh, Port or Portugal and everything. It's <laughs> it's really fun. You have to start off like in Micronesia, getting all those tiny islands, and then you can work your way up to to Europe, where you're getting the mid-sized countries. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's a good little touch for sure. And they told um, you that your geography knowledge would never be useful as an adult. <laughs> That's right. I mean. It probably isn't, except for this game, but hey, you know what? <laughs> I like having the smug superiority of being to point out a place on a map. There you go. So with that, uh, why don't we go into some three-word reviews? All right, this game was a big thumbs up for me. It was short, it was sweet, it was great. My three-word review for this is Sweet Rolling Revenge. To me, the best part about this game was there was like some asshole cat that was batting you around, um, but then five minutes later, your Katamari is enough to... It's large enough that you sweep them up, and they are now part of that now. So that idea of being chased by an enemy, but turning the tables on them later on was, I think, one of the most fun things about this game. Uh, my three-word review was Calculated Chaotic Joy. Uh, Katamari Damacy is, on its surface, as I said before, a game about scale and momentum, but it's awash in such a huge amount of happiness that I think it's actually primarily about joy. It's a celebration of a game, and it's hard to explain how zany and fun it is without the whole thing sounding like lol random. But the wholesomeness, for me, is what sort of makes it shine through and really have a, a solid heart. There's a lot of intentionality that goes into making a game that feels this good and still so odd, surprising, and funny. Uh, it's calculated, it's chaotic, and most importantly, it's joyful. Huge thumbs up for me too. Just as good now as it was in 2004. And from us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. Take care and keep on rolling. <laughs> Uh, just kidding. What a great little game. I uh, I literally played it on like one weekend. 
you know? I played, like, the first couple levels on a Saturday and the next few and up to the end on a Sunday, and that was it. Like, we should do a hundred games like this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, uh, even when I was reading up on this game a little bit, I'd see criticisms of the game. It's so short. It's only ten hours. <laughs> like, thank ten you. Ten hours. Thank you. It's barely five, and I love it for it. <laughs> It's the reason why I was late to see you guys a couple weekends ago. Because <laughs> I started playing it like an hour before I was supposed to leave. Hey, that's a good reason. I, I can forgive that. Um, the uh, the fun thing about this is like because like all those short criticisms and like the the climate of games that it came out in, right? You know, you can't release a five hour game for sixty dollars. This game was twenty bucks at launch in the U.S. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, like, could you imagine paying 20 bucks and, and getting this? Like, I'd be so happy right now. <laughs> I paid 30 bucks for this game. I guess there's inflation, but still. <laughs> Whoops. Well, that's your own fault, because eh, I picked okay. it up for five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, none of this money's going to Keita Takahashi at this point, so I want to get it true. as cheap as possible. True, true. Rollin', 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 rollin'. <laughs>